0: Welcome to the Canola Watch Podcast. I'm Jay Wetter. Nested association mapping is a tool to identify, with reasonable accuracy, the segments of DNA associated with complex traits, like nutrient use efficiency and drought tolerance. American researcher Edward Buckler first came up with the nested association mapping concept to work on complex traits in corn. Canada now has a nested association mapping system for Brassica napis canola, thanks to research scientists Isabel Parkin, Sally Vale, and Steve Robinson at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Saskatoon. The Canola Digest Science Edition from 2020 reported on their completed project, and the tool is now regularly used in pre-commercial breeding work. Raju Holly mentioned it in episode 91, of the Canola Watch podcast. Because nested association mapping comes up so often in conversations about complex canola traits, I needed a Canola Watch podcast to describe it in more detail. I found Sally Vale at Canola Week 2023 in Calgary, during cleanup time, as you'll hear, and asked her to answer a few questions. Sally, we're going to be talking about nested association mapping. Can you tell me what that is?
1: Yeah, so a nested association mapping population, or a NAM population, is um, a specialized genomic and germplasm resource um, that is developed from selecting diversity across the species. So in our case, we're looking at the species from which canola came from, so Brasca napis. So um, we've assessed diversity across all of spring Brasca napis and identified... Um, 50 key lines that represent that range of diversity, and um, to develop the population, we took those lines and crossed them to a founder line, um, a nice early flowering line, canola quality line um, that grows well in western Canada, and we've developed um, families of, pop- of populations from those crosses. So altogether, it's 200 or 2,500 lines um, that represent 50 different families.
0: And why did you have to backcross it with that the founder line?
1: Yeah, so um, the the population structure was originally developed in maize, um, so studying for studying corn genetics, and the reason it was developed was because um, there was two. Other types of uh, populations that were used prior to this, um, different population structures. One was what we call a biparental cross or a cross between two parents, and then a recombined population was developed. And then the other um, was what was used for genome wide association studies. And so these were larger diversity populations. So, again, going back to the diversity across Springbraska Napis, it'd be two to three hundred lines representing that diversity. Um, so, using those two types of populations, there was advantages and disadvantages of both of them um, with the biparental crossing you could get um, w- when you went to study the genetics, you could get um, closer to um, your genes of interest because you 'd have all kinds of recombination you didn 't have um, background effects of all kinds of genotypes. Um, but was limited to the genetic variation in your two parents that you were looking at. In the diversity populations or the GWAS or genome wide association mapping populations, you were representing all kinds of allelic diversity, all kinds of gene diversity, but there's inherent challenges in looking at that, um, such as, as, as the range of growth types, the range of plant types. And then the other thing is um, when you, in those populations, you have historic linkage blocks that haven't been broken up by recombination. Um, which um, which would contribute to issues with getting close to your genes of interest. So, the NAM population, the NAM structure, was proposed to uh, capitalize on the advantages of both those approaches. Um, and also, in doing that, it uh, also negated the disadvantages of them as well.
0: How did we solve gen- genetic problems or find genes of interest before we had this?
1: Okay. Yeah. So, pr- prior to the NAM, um, you know, if, if there was a, a new trait or um, a new characteristic that um, that researchers wanted to study, um, the, the the starting point in terms of studying natural variation across the species and developing um, and developing germplasm and, and tools, um, your starting point would be to assess the variation across, say, a diversity collection. Um, and, the, and then, from there, um, the next step would then say be to identify parents for a biparental population where you could study the genetics. Um, one of the the huge advantages of the NAM is it's a resource that's already ready to go um, so a great starting point when looking at a lot of new traits is to assess the parental panel or the founders and the the reference line to see if you have variation across those and if you do you can use the population to study your traits um, because along with the population there's um, extensive sequence information on the founders and, um, and core, sec- core genomic information or SNP array Um, information on all 2500 recombined lines so it's um, a really efficient way to do research and a great starting point to look for look at look at new traits
0: well let's use a few examples to help visualize what's going on here so can have you got a couple of recent research projects that have used the the nam population
1: yeah so um so so far it's been um used to look to look at quite, quite a few different traits, um, it's been used to look at root and plant architecture um, differences. Um, it's been used to look at dormancy, seed and seedling vigor traits. Um, we're starting to use it to look at differences in nitrogen use efficiency and nitrogen uptake across the um, across the species. It's been used to study heat and drought. Um, we've used it to look at pod shattering and natural variation for pod shattering. Um, it's being used to look at um, Brand new seed quality traits, um, and it's also been a, um, used in insect tolerant um, insect tolerant studies. So, looking for different to see if there's differences in in um, in different lines or genotypes in their tolerance to different insect pests.
0: Pick one of those and let's talk more about it. How, how did the how did the Nam population help in finding that trait?
1: Yeah. So the um, the one that's one of the most developed ones, rather than just like, looking at um, general adaptation and, and kind of standard seed quality traits of the population, um, but looking at a specific trait, um, we've been using the population to look at um, secondary seed dormancy. Um, So this this is a seed trait that is the underlying mechanism that's contributing to um, increased volunteer canola populations um, across the Canadian prairies. So it's the mechanism by which seed can stay dormant in the soil for up to 12 years. Um, so, the, again, the starting point was to look at the founders. We produced the founders in several different environments. Um, we were able to see what type of range we had for secondary seed dormancy um, and if that was consistent across environments or specific to particular environments and then um, based on that data, we were able to select families um, from from the NAM population that we could use to study the genetics of of the trait um, and this has led to the mapping of qtl which will hopefully um, lead to the development of markers that um, breeders could use to select against secondary dormancy
0: okay so we're, we're going to have to unpack that <laughs> but, but first of all what is qtl again
1: qtl is quantitative trait loci so it's uh, the region of the genome um where genes i guess are harbored or underlying that are controlling a particular trait so,
0: right, so you so you took your 50 or whatever number of of particular lines of canola you planted those seeds outside or was it in a greenhouse and then you harvested them and then how did you find out how long they would be dormant for create a, uh, an image for me of how this research looked
1: yeah so we um we, that we did we did all of our seed increases for this work outside um, we have found in the past that uh, greenhouse produced seed we don't see the dormancy phenotype or it doesn't line up with what we see from the field so it's it's really important that we use field produced seed for this work um, we um, we selected four environments we produced um, seed of the parental panel or the founders and the reference in Saskatoon um, over two seasons and we tented the seed um, so it was all self-seed so not cross-pollinated with with, with its neighbor NAM I guess and um, and then we also worked with a cooperator in Chile um, and used two different sites down there in a single season and and the reason we were interested in Chile was um, was because that's where a, um, a lot of contra season work um, for canola, Canadian uh, Canadian canola industry happens so there's infrastructure there to do it plus it was representative um, so those were the initial four environments that we looked at.
0: You harvested like a, a handful of seeds or whatever from from each of them then what do you do with that handful to see if how how the level of secondary dormancy
1: yeah yeah so it's um it's a rather onerous protocol and i guess you know when it, you know i'd mentioned that we're mapping the qtl and hoping to develop molecular markers that's one of the reasons it's pretty critical to do that for this particular trait because it's not feasible to screen against secondary dormancy in a routine manner within um, breeding programs um, because the protocol is um, it 's actually quite excruciating for technicians it 's done under green light um, so it 's just it 's not the most pleasant environment to um, to be performing laboratory experiments. Um, the processes is a um, a chemical agent called PEG um, is used to induce the I guess dormancy susceptible or the dormancy prone seeds into dormancy Um, and then um, they're exposed to that anywhere from one one to three weeks depending on what version of the protocol we're using and then they're transferred to water and the seeds that do not germinate yet aren't mushy and dead (laughs) are, are seeds that are considered to be dormant um, so, it's it's called secondary dormancy because it's an induced dormancy, so this is an artificial way to induce the seeds that have the genetic de- um, predisposition to become dormant to be dormant so that we can assess how dormant they are. <laughs> okay.
0: so is secondary dormancy something that occurs naturally, or is secondary dormancy just something you're, you're doing, like you said, inducing to test for the... the The propensity to stay in the soil for 12 years as viable seed.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's um, like what we're doing is we're it's it's a laboratory protocol that is mimicking what might be happening in the seed or what is happening in the seed banks when volunteer canola goes back into the soil. So. Seed it, the dormancy is a mechanism whereby seed doesn't germinate if it doesn't if it senses that the conditions are not great for germination, um, and if the seed senses that it isn't good conditions, it goes into the dormant state. Um, so it's it's a weedy um, weedy mechanism for persistence. Um, so if you think like a weed, you wanna you want you want your your You'd, you'd want your, your kids, your children, your seeds to persist yeah, over right. long periods of time. So it's it's a mechanism um, that we we really don't want in crop species. But since canola is actually quite a young crop, it, there it hasn't been selected against. Um, and then it's also really challenging to select against because it's separate from um, the germination potential of fresh seed. So you could have you know, seed lots with really good vigor that, that will germinate and grow really well that could actually have really high secondary dormancy potential, but we're not selecting against that by selecting strong sands.
0: Okay, just going back to that, this is a simple technical thing. Green light, is it, is that so the seed feels like it's underground or what's the point of green light?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, basically we're, we're, you know, what the green light does is eliminates the wavelengths that. The seed would sense that would, True. yeah, 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 like because if um, yeah, like we're 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 causing the seed to think it's buried deep in the soil where it's not exposed to light, so.
0: Yeah. So the technicians have to work under those conditions. Yeah. So what is green light like? Is it just is it like living in a like a green alien world?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. okay, Sally. So
0: so we're getting to our point here. Now, did you did you see differences among those fifty in terms of of uh, the lines? sort of the, the the degree or the length of its secondary dormancy what did you what were the differences you observed?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah so um, we saw differences in a couple different ways um, you know when we looked within a single environment there were um, several lines that had no secondary dormancy potential, and there were several lines that had really, really high secondary dormancy potential. Um, Luckily, our reference line, which everything is crossed to, had really, really low secondary dormancy potential. So the families that we selected were um, where it was crossed to really high potential ones so that we had differences in our parents, which is um, kind of critical in terms of, of genetic studies. Um, the other differences, we, we then looked across the environments and um, we tried to identify lines that were consistently high across environments um, because we wanted to ensure that we would, we would see the differences um, in the rills when we then produce those in different environments
0: recombinant inbred lines or rills are genetically stable and can be produced generation after generation with little change.
1: We would see the differences um, in the rills when we then produce those in different environments so, to study this so
0: again, so the point of this, this NAM population is that you want that big diversity. So ultimately we were trying to select for low or no secondary dormancy, right That's what we want. But if you get those big differences, then you can start to identify where the genes or where the QTLs are. Is that, is that what we're doing?
1: That's right. Like, you, you have to have differences in your parents in order for, you know, the kids or the progeny to have differences in order to study the differences. So that's, yeah, kind of underlying, um, underlying, yeah, kind of the, the principles. So
0: you've been doing this work for a while now. So do you feel like you finally identified some qtls that that could go to marker uh selection or whatever you do to find a marker so that then that could go into commercial (laughs) commercial breeding lines where they could now start selecting for low secondary dormancy and thus low uh weediness and and help manage the volunteer canola are we are we are you there
1: we're 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 definitely making progress <laughs> so um, you know what what we're realizing um, I have a PhD student who um, this is their world right now is, is working on this project um, but, and, and what we're realizing is is that the trait is really tricky so when we initially looked at the parents we thought it was really heritable meaning um, typically if traits are really heritable they're they tend to be easier to study as we got into the rills of the recombined populations it wasn't as easy as what we thought it might be. Um, But that brings me back to the power of using the NAM. Something I forgot to mention earlier was that um, in designing the NAM population structure in maize, one of the things that was quite clear was that it was really advantageous for studying complex traits. Um, So traits that are controlled by a lot of genes, traits that have a lot of... um, called pleiotrophic interactions so interactions um, well yeah pleiotrophic so genes that are actually say controlling a couple different traits that appear to be unrelated and then also the linkage of different genes so um, so yeah it is we're we're making headway (laughs) Um, we're not definitively there yet um, but the complexity that we're seeing it brings us back to You know, being fortunate that we used a resource like the NAM, um, because I think our likelihood of figuring it out is much greater.
0: And so now that we have the NAM, we can, I mean, that list of projects you gave us earlier included all complex traits like water use efficiency, nitrogen use efficiency, drought tolerance, heat tolerance. Um, So now that we have this work done, it's like a tool that we we can use for, for all of these other projects. I got that
1: yeah yeah that's right yeah like there's the advantage where it's a like an existing resource that's ready to go um, with populations with sequence data with genotype data that's all expensive and timely to generate um, and another you know real potential advantage of it is is that it's it's being used to study so many different traits and so there's potential to bring all that information back together. and um, and I guess our, our vision is is to have a, a database where we can we can bring all these results back together and, um, you know, and potentially use it for some data mining activities. We can use it, um, potentially maybe even for some like advanced analytics and deep learning type um, like activities where maybe we can start to tease out um, what's going on on I- in the bigger genome picture. With all these unrelated traits, um, so that that's something that's that's really exciting.
0: Does this live with agriculture and agri-food Canada in Saskatoon, or is this something that anybody can now develop? Or, or like these are physical seeds, these are lines and little pouches. I don't know how you <laughs> keep them, but I mean, is this does, is this at uh, Ag Canada? Property or can, can anybody now that you've developed the work can anybody yeah. do it?
1: Yeah, so actually, and, and, and I, I do want to give credit to um, the initial PI on this project too, is Dr. Isabel Parkin, who's a world-renowned brass um who who really led this and and brought um, myself on on this exciting train and and also Steve Robinson from um, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Um, and Andy Sharp, who's now with with GIFS, um, so the 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 population was developed within egg Canada. The the founders were um, represented different diversity collections from across egg Canada. It was. Developed with funding, um, some public funding from from ADF and also um, some funding from the growers, but then in, um, some other partners in it were a few um, key canola breeding companies. Um, so we we formed a consortium. Um, since then, it's been it's been licensed a little bit more, um, and it's also been used in, as I mentioned, so many other research projects. A big portion of my job is consulting and working with a lot of different researchers in terms of providing germplasm to address their research questions and coming back to you know, having this database of what these variations are, I think it's, it's going to be such a powerful tool for the research community in that as researchers come with new ideas, we'll be able to go into that data and say, well, what is actually the best germplasm for you to take a look at um, to answer some pretty complex questions.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you, Sally. Thank you sally vale is a research scientist and oilseed breeder with agriculture and agri-food canada in saskatoon for more on her secondary dormancy work read quest to turn off secondary dormancy in canola digest 2023 find it at canoladigest.ca canola watch is an agronomy service from the canola council of canada with support from the three prairies based canola grower organizations SaskCanola. Alberta canola, and Manitoba canola growers. At the core of Canola Watch is a timely agronomy email with regular updates throughout the growing season on pests, weather, fertilizer management, and other topics. If you are not already subscribed, please sign up at canolawatch.org. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. I'm Jay Wetter. Thank you very much for listening.